0: My name's Jim Zubb. I'm the writer of Disney's Figment comic series, and you're listening to The Enchanted Tiki Talk.
1: Vahini me mana, ladies and gentlemen. No flashbulbs, please. Our performers are temperamental and easily upset. Thank you for your cooperation.
2: Oh, look at all the people. My goodness, you're all staring at us he better start the show rolling wait wait we forgot to wake up the glee club
3: hey howdy hey and thank you for joining us here on china tiki talk we are your hosts i'm sean i'm alan i'm keith so grab yourself a dole whip pull up a chair and enjoy the show This is episode 32 for the week of June 1st, 2014. This week we are honored to have Jim Zub in the Tiki Hut. Jim is an accomplished writer, artist, and art instructor. He has worked for companies like DC Comics, Capcom, Hasbro, and most recently Disney. Welcome, Jim. Thanks for joining us. Uh, thanks Thanks for having me.
0: I really appreciate it.
3: Uh, we appreciate it. You know, yeah. we're we're excited. I'm sure there's tons of Disney fans who are excited to uh, to to listen to you and to have you know the comic book that's coming out. I mean, this is going to be this is going to be a blast.
0: I'm I'm absolutely thrilled to be working on um, working on Figment uh, with Marvel and the Disney Imagineering team, and uh, I'm really really excited for people to see what we've been putting together uh, on the project. So yeah, I'm thrilled to chat about it. Uh, let's, you know, we can dive right into it.
3: Before we get into it, but uh, just give us a little background of, um, you know, really what got you interested in in comics as a career. Oh, wow. Um, I mean, I've been a
0: lifelong comic fan. I started... The first comics I remember collecting as a kid were probably... Marvel's GI Joe comics. I would watch the oh, cartoons nice. when I was a kid, and at the very end of each episode, they would have the credit scroll, and then I, right before the, the sort of ending logos, they would have usually the newest comic cover, and it would say "Buy the Marvel comic," and you know, a little kid, you're like, "Yes, master," and you sort of <laughs> wander off to the shop, and you, you know, you want to continue the adventure. So I started buying the the uh, GI Joe comics, and then through there, and the ads in those books, I started digging into the other Marvel books. Um, particularly Spider-Man, and then over time I would really enjoy kind of the mythic stuff like Thor and um, Doctor Strange and characters like that. It, it tied in really well because I was also a big Dungeons & Dragons player with my older brother, so characters who had magic and also, um, you know, were superheroes was pretty much like the perfect, you know, unification of, of my big nerdity, you know, so it was great.
2: Great. So how did you become involved with Figment, this project overall?
0: yeah well that was a really kind of unique thing normally with a lot of these projects um, you build up relationships with editors or with companies over time and then you sort of move from one project to another but in this case it was really kind of an out-of-the-blue thing back in December uh, Bill Roseman who's been an editor in comics for years and years I mean he was an editor at Marvel when I was first getting into the books um, He contacted me in December and and told me that he was in charge of special projects, and he had a a project he thought I would be a good fit for. I've done a lot of sword and sorcery writing, I've done a lot of fantasy writing uh, in comics in particular, and although this is, you know, what we're doing with Journey into Imagination and with Figment isn't like, I'd say, you know, high fantasy, it's not Lord of the Rings kind of sword and sorcery, there's definitely some crossover there, and he was curious on my take on it and whether you know, it would be a good fit for me as a writer and to work with the Disney team as we sort of develop this broader idea and uh, a storyline to go with the attraction. And so that it, it was something where they asked me if I was interested. I said I was, and then you, you've got to put together a pitch and sort of convince them that you're the right person for the job. And that's always nerve-wracking, particularly when you're working on you know, a property that people know quite well, and when you're working with a company you haven't done, you know, like I've never written for Disney before, so that was a little bit kind of nerve wracking as well.
1: Speaking of that, how has how has it been working for Disney? Do you do you have a lot
0: of freedom when it comes to the storylines? Do you, or are they kind well, of telling you what to do? How well, it's interesting. I, I really wasn't sure going in how it was going to be. It's been wonderful, honestly. the The Imagineering team is fantastic. They're very, very supportive. And I think that when we, um, early on, we set a good baseline of this is what it's all going to be about. And once we, you know, I kind of gave them three very divergent ideas about how we could take the story and they picked one of those directions. And once we sort of had that plumb line that we could, you know, all attach to, we all got really excited about the possibilities. And so it was something where, yeah, going into it, I mean, every client project is different. And of course, you know, you're working for a company and they own and control that property, and, and understandably, they're very protective of it. And I've gotten used to working. I've worked on all kinds of different um, commercial stuff over the years. I've done some. I did a, a Batman story. I've done some work with uh, Street Fighter, the video game property. I've written uh, stories for Samurai Jack and, and things like that. And every one of those is a different sort of a challenge because you've got different people involved and different company processes. And so I kind of went into this and said, "Oh man, you know, Disney's." Probably the biggest media company on earth. This could be really intense, but uh, to be completely honest, they've been fantastic. They've been ultra supportive. Uh, we we're all on the same page in terms of what we want out of the series, and and uh, I I'm having a blast. It's been uh, it's been really really good, and uh, you know it's it's been a great feeling to know that the stuff that you know that I've come up with, they like. And they are really on board with the direction that we've put together.
1: They're, they're notorious for being <coughs> super protective of their uh, their stories and their characters. So to hear that they're kind of giving you some freedom is is
0: surprising, but that's good. That's good for you, so you can do your art and do your work. Well, and the, the reality is, is that you want to, you know, I'm very uh, careful about, about trying to keep the core of... of What the story is about, you know, in line with what the 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 ride is and what you know, journey into imagination's all about. So it's something where I also want to do well by them. It's not just me trying to overpower it with ideas or try and make it something it's not. It's really about taking my storytelling sensibilities and marrying it with, uh, you know, the the what what's already there and really building it into a more developed story with sort of you know enriched characters and whatnot. So. Uh, that, with any property, I think it's important to not, you know, you want to put your stamp on it, but it's not all about you. It's about taking what you do best and working with what's already there as well.
3: See, I'm a, you know, I grew up. I grew up uh, in the '80s, so you know, GI Joe. You mentioned GI Joe; that was you know huge for my childhood. And mm-hmm. me going down to Disney as a kid, one of, the, one of my favorite attractions was Journey into Imagination, and I just loved that attraction. So having Figment and Dreamfinder as characters in a comic book, they're coming back alive. You know, it's it's great to see that. Um, but I'm really curious, like. Where the story itself is going—is it focusing more on Figment, or is it focusing more on Dreamfinder, or is it—it's a, a story about both of them?
0: I mean, it is about both of them. And, you know, it, it, the structure of it is—it's sort of an origin story in the sense that we're going to see how Dreamfinder really, you know, discovers the power of imagination and you know meets Figment for the first time, and they team up and. Sort of go on this, go on this expedition, you know, off to, uh, new and fantastic places. You know, I don't want to give away too much within that regard, but I think that's a a pretty safe bet. You know, Journey into Imagination is going to involve a journey into imagination. You know, so 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 it's not just a clever title. (laughs) No, no, for real, it's, it's in there. And so, um, coming up with a framework for that and, you know, the original concept is all about empowering people and the strength of creativity. You know, mixed with uh, science or mixed with, you know, uh, um, new ideas and enthusiasm and, you know, uh, all those different elements sort of come together. But, of course, the attraction is more about just general entertainment for the length of the ride, whereas we had to come up with a much more, you know, developed storyline in terms of where the characters begin, what they learn and what they go through, you know, what things they have to overcome. Uh, you know antagonists and and the whole difficulties that they've got to go through you know as a whole and so and so that's been a real challenge because you need to add and create things and we're creating new characters and new locations but they have to feel like they fit they have to feel like they're you know within the scope of what's what's been built into the uh, into the ride and that's been both Really exciting, but also intimidating, because you're literally creating Disney characters. And at first, I was really, um, really timid about that. Like, I didn't, I I felt like, oh, geez, I don't know if I'm allowed to. And then I sort of said, okay, well, you know, it'd be helpful if we had this here. And they were just super enthusiastic. Oh, yeah, yeah, let's go with that. And then we were talking design back and forth. And uh, it's been really fantastic. The the artist we've got on the series, uh, Philippe Andrade, he is unbelievably skilled. And he just has this beautiful balance of like this delicate line work, but it's very free and and he's just got this, um, it really does have an animated sort of storytelling quality to it. It's just been a great, great fit with the story as a whole.
2: Is it a hope of yours that people, once they read this series, that they they ride attraction and see it in a, Different way, like with, like you said, with origin stories and backstories of the characters itself.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously, um, I'd be thrilled to see any of that kind of stuff incorporated down the line, and and I hope that people really have an enriched sense of the potential of both the the ride and sort of the characters as a whole. You know, it the characters haven't really been. I know that the new version of Journey to Imagination is actually quite different than the original one. Uh, from the 80s, and we're trying to draw more of our source material from the original conception of the ride and from the original version of the ride. And I know that a lot of Disney fans love uh, that version best and that they've got a real, you know, nostalgia for uh, for that version of Journey into Imagination. So, you know, if I can bring a spotlight to that and really give an enriched sense to people about the backgrounds of these characters, you know, it's a real... It's a real honor to be involved with it, you know, and to and to be able to expand the story and, and add to the mythology of these Disney characters, let alone characters that you've got you know, generations of people have been going to the parks and have such deep-seated memories of them. The day that they announced this project, uh, I had people coming onto my Twitter feed and sending me photos of, like battered and loved figment dolls that they've literally (laughs) hugged to death. Like they just, you know, they, they love this character so much and that character meant so much to them as a child and they still have so much nostalgia wrapped up in it. And that's a, that's a real, you know, it's a duty to, to work on that and to be involved with it and that you want to do right by those properties. You want to do right by those characters and make people feel like that they're, you know, that their emotional attachment is well-placed. And so I've tried to be uh, as careful about that, but also not sacrificing story. You know, at the end of the day, we've got to tell a good story, and it's got to be something that a brand-new reader can pick up and they can enjoy, and someone that has nostalgia for the original ride or, you know, has loved Figment for 20 years can, can also pick up and get something new and enjoyable out of it as well.
2: I think that all of us as fans of the old attraction, i are like, hoping for like a refurb out of this whole deal, and so that we could have that back again.
0: Yeah, I, it's funny. That was one of the first things that people asked me was, "They're like, are they going to change the ride?" And it's like, I have no, <laughs> I have no control of these things. You know, are they going to make a movie out of this? I, again, I have no, I have no idea. At the end of the day, I, I can't worry about that sort of stuff. It, for me, you know, if I had to look at it in the broader structure of things, I'm sure. Someone at Disney is looking and saying, hey, that Pirates of the Caribbean thing worked out pretty well. We should take other attractions and we should expand upon some of the mythology in these, these attractions that people know so well and that have become part of kind of the Disney culture and see if there's something else there, something more that we can dig into. And so I'm thrilled to be a part of it. And Bill Roseman at Marvel has been just an awesome, uh, real cheerleader throughout the entire process. He brought me on board. He really, um, in, in some ways, I, he, like, upsold me to the Disney Imagineers that I was going to, you know, bring these qualities to it. And I feel very uh, honored that he's done so. And then there's a group of, of guys at Disney that I'm working with, uh, Jim Clark, and I'm working with, um, oh, else I got? Uh, Josh Shipley, Brian Crosby a couple other guys over at the Imagineers, and they're providing feedback and, and providing reference as well, and we're sort of bouncing visual ideas back and forth and talking about how the scenes and the storyline are going to play out. And they've, uh, once we settled on the storyline, they've become real, you know, supportive cheerleaders of the process as well. And that's been just, just the best feeling.
1: Disney fans, at least the hardcore Disney fans, we're notorious for being very... Um Oh, that's the word. I don't, I don't really know what to say here. We we, we have fond memories of the older <laughs> attraction. Sure. The current journey into your imagination, that, in, that is, it's
0: a touchy subject amongst the hardcore fans. Did you know what you right. were getting into? Um, kind of I, in I didn't know the full extent of it, and I'd only ever ridden the original attraction, which kind of worked in my favor because that was what they actually wanted me to, to take, was the original Dreamfinder, and rather than the, the current version anyways. And so, um, that's where I felt comfortable regardless. Uh, but yeah, it was weird because people immediately were bombarding me with questions about the new version of the attraction or, <laughs> or, you know, the original Dreamfinder and all this sort of stuff. And when the first artwork came out and there's that younger version of Dreamfinder, I think people were also a little bit sort of taken aback and with their expectations. But it, again, it's an origin story. So we're able to show the character, uh, younger and show sort of, his origin as as an inventor, and his origin as sort of more of a scientist who's got a, a much closed, a much more closed mind, and then opening himself up to new possibilities and new ideas, and that's really uh, you know a very exciting uh, concept. Being able to build it and show the the pieces that take you to essentially by the end more of the you know the original ride, and in, in a sense how we got there.
1: Word of advice: Just never ever mention Dr. Nigel Channing if you guys. Just
0: go ahead and ignore that character. Yeah, I, you know, again, it was uh, I got bombarded with lots of questions about this kind of stuff, and I, you know, what though, I got to admit it, it doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother me when people are excited. It doesn't bother me that people are passionate about it. I want better that than them not paying attention whatsoever. You know, I love the fact that people are invested in it. I love the fact that people want something special. You know, I hope that they give us uh, a chance to do something new and different with it and that they're not too close-minded. But on the same token, they deserve, you know, a story that, that exemplifies the qualities of the attraction and that really builds off of those things in a, in an exciting and organic way. And so that's what We're trying to do on the team and so um, you know it feels really cool and weird it's also strange too because the different audiences and how they respond so you know to a typical comic book audience especially a Marvel comic audience they want superhero stuff and if you're not doing superhero stuff there's this sense that it's not as important and then to the general public when you tell them you're writing something for Disney I mean, that's just mind blowing to them. You know, this right. is possibly the most excited my parents have been about any comic that I've done. <laughs> you know, I've done dozens and dozens of, of comics at this point. I've been writing, um, pretty steadily, uh, I, I wrote before this, but pretty steadily since 2010. So about four or four and a half years, I've been writing a lot of comics. Uh, you know, I, like my dad thought it was kind of cool I did a Batman story, but he's not even really a super hero fans, but you know you can tell people batman and they feel like oh that's a big deal you know but to most people ever and you say disney you know and you're working with the imagineers that's pretty uh pie in the sky kind of stuff for most people it's a little mind-blowing it's mind-blowing for me you know the first time we uh we had a conference call and or the emails going back and forth and i'm thinking oh geez you know i gotta be careful i don't want to embarrass myself and everyone was just like super super excited right from the get-go um yeah it feels a little surreal, and I think when the first issue comes out, as much as I've done a bunch of comics every time you've got a new project and it finally comes out and you've got a physical copy in your hand that's that's always a little magical in its own way, like oh, we really made this thing, oh you know like' this is a real thing now we did it, you know it it's a great feeling
3: you know i'm a I'm a comic book reader and you know you have the the digital you have digital now whereas growing up you didn't have anything like that but i still love i still prefer print i mean i do enjoy watching reading it on my ipad and it's so nice and easy to use but there's nothing better than walking in a comic shop and seeing how many different variations of a, a you know a comic book cover that that are in front of you and you can hold it in your hand and grab and and actually look and feel you know what the artist has come up with and, and what has come out, and you get a better appreciation for it when it's in, it's in print itself.
0: Oh, absolutely! And the fidelity is really wonderful. The the detail you get on the printed page right. is pretty second to none. And so, yeah, I you know I'm a big fan of print comics as well. The convenience of digital is really nice. I I sort of compare it between like television and then like a Blu-ray, you know, box set or something. It's like, you know, digital is great because you can browse a lot of stuff and you can try things and you can sample it out and you can take it with you and I can read it on the plane. And that's really useful. So if I've got kind of like, there's some series I'm just sort of reading almost out of, you know, a habit or I'm trying different things all the time. But once I really key into a series and I really love it, I want to get that, you know, physical copy or I want to get that nice, trade collection or whatever it might be and have that on my shelf because that that story means more to me you know and so exactly I, I think the more avenues the better the more outlets the better especially when you know some people don't live near comic shops or you've got the convenience factor where people can hear about something or that you know let's say they listen to this interview and they're like oh i want to try that boom they can go on to Comicsology they can pick up the first issue and try it out and they don't have to they don't have to leave their own house and they can read that first issue right from the source so changing gears just a little bit since
1: uh you know we obviously don't want to get into too much about the story that you're going into but right let's let's talk a little bit about you and um, okay what were some of the artists and writers that inspired you you when you first oh man it's
0: interesting um At first, and this seems to be quite true of many uh, comic readers, especially younger ones, you tend to key in on characters and series at first. And so, like, I'm reading G.I. Joe or I'm reading Spider-Man, and eventually your brain starts to shift gears and you realize, oh, these these stories are better than those stories, and this art looks different or better than that art, you know. Uh, as a judgment sort of quality and you kind of start keying into I, I kind of want to follow that person or I kind of realize that what they're creating is is what I like just as much as the characters that they're working on. So I remember quite early on guys like um, the G.I. Joe yearbooks were drawn by this artist Michael Golden and I absolutely loved his stuff and I didn't, I just knew that his stuff looked awesome and so I started following Michael Golden's stuff and you know, um same kind of thing with with the writers early on. Like I would just you know key into certain storylines of uh, Spider Man, or I would key into certain storylines of these different creators, and realize that they had a very powerful kind of quality to them. And that to me was was so cool was realizing that not only was I collecting characters, but I was going to start following certain creators. But I didn't really I think realize the. I don't want to get too dramatic, but like the literary quality of comics or the, that you could do so much more with them until I started reading Sandman. So that's, you know, Neil Gaiman's, uh, you know, seminal comic series about, about dreams and about imagination and about sort of, you know, uh, deeper emotional things. And that really changed my, my brain. Like it, it sort of rewired me that you could do more than just, you know, superheroes punching each other out or, just kind of general surface level adventure and um, there were certain storylines i liked more than others but as a whole it just felt like you were witnessing something important like that was going on there i had a similar type of thing happen when i was in high school my brother went off to um university and in the computer programming and the engineering programs there were a lot of international students from japan who had come over to take courses at, at the university of waterloo here in Ontario, and they brought with them their comics, and then he brought some of that stuff home to show me, and I started reading manga, and a lot of it was about stuff that I'd never read comics about. They were like romantic comedies or dramas or historical stories. And again, my mind was sort of opened up and expanded. You can do these things in comics. You can tell any kind of stories in comics. It's not just, you know, these these little closed boxes that I thought they were and um, I didn't you know fully appreciate that until a couple years into it and I realized the breadth and the depth of the type of stuff I was reading international comics and North American comics and just the sort of stepping away from superheroes for a while and just sort of expanding my mind and my readership you know out there and so that when I came back to start writing comics I didn't feel like I was just going to ape the stuff that I grew up on that I could do, you know, different kinds of stories or that I could sort of key into all kinds of different influences. And I think that that's helped serve me really well as a writer. And I think it's given me, hopefully, a bit more breadth, you know, rather than just being like, okay, I'm going to try and out Stan Lee, Stan Lee, or something like that. Right.
3: Speaking of rewards, now, you've taught animation class at Seneca College, correct?
0: That's right. I've been teaching there for, uh uh-oh, I'm going to date myself pretty good. (laughs) This is my 10th year uh, teaching uh, at Seneca, so... Uh, I started, uh, just as a part-time instructor and then I moved into a coordinator position where it was supposed to be, that was supposed to be like a part-time thing where I was just going to help them, uh, organize the program for one year while the coordinator was on maternity leave. And then she came back and moved to another department and, uh, and they handed me the keys to it. So I've been running the department now for... I want to say six years, seven years now. Oh wow. Congratulations. So, yeah, it's great. Uh, I really love it. And so um it's, it's, it's a big responsibility. You're literally, you're guiding the curriculum and you're dealing with sort of the instructor, you know, scheduling and, and who's going to be teaching what. And, uh, the advantage of that as well is, you know, I get to also figure out what I'm going to be teaching each semester. So. Right. I'm teaching, uh, currently, um, when I was working in the animation business, I did some background artwork, so I'm teaching environmental drawing, and I also teach the animation history course, which is something near and dear to my heart. And I uh, very much so don't want it to be like, uh, I don't know if you've ever taken an art history course, but it can be the, if art history is taught poorly, it can be the most boring and awful thing, where people are just showing you pieces of art, and they tell you it's important, and then you memorize names and dates, and it's just about you know regurgitating information. And I always thought that that was the poorest thing you could do, because this is art and this is creativity. And so we talk about you know influences in, in animation creators, but we also go through a real structured process of, of showing how the artwork changed and the quality grew and the different sort of um, innovations that happened with, with concrete examples. And then as the students are learning in their courses about drawing and about motion we're taking those theories and we're showing them concrete examples of it in history in the films that you know really change the industry bit by bit and so that's been a real joy you know and being able to dig into these archives and give these students a greater appreciation that okay whatever they like right now whatever style of animation they love taking a thread and being able to pull it back to its source. And all of a sudden you realize that even some of the oldest films had an influence on the stuff that you like now, you know?
2: If you're able to only pick one, either animation or um, writing, which uh, would you choose?
0: Oh, man. Uh, You know, it's weird. I love being able to balance both, like working in animation and teaching and then then writing. I think they all kind of feed off each other. Mm Mm-hmm um in a good way where some of the things that I'm doing at school keep me grounded and recharge my batteries and so that's a it's an incredibly difficult decision. Um right now I I love writing. I love interacting with the artists, and I love telling stories and that's something that I didn't realize how much it would mean to me until, until I started doing it, you know, as a as a freelancer as much as I have over the last 4 years. And so it's really hard for me to say. Um, comics have become really near and dear to me, and I'm I'm really uh, attached to the types of projects that I'm doing and the ability to create without a lot of different layers involved. Animation is wonderful, and that was my background and my training, and I loved working in animation. But even to create a short clip of animation requires so many you know different people and processes and departments for most productions, and so with comics, you know, you've only got a handful of people in the whole process, and you can get that stuff out in a much shorter timeline. Like, if we were planning a figment animation, we'd be a good year and a half, you know, two years in development before they would even announce this thing. And I literally got, you know, asked to be involved in December, and the first issue is coming out in June. So between them saying, hey, are you even interested, and the first issue's on the stands, we're talking six months, which in animation terms is impossible and so that kind of process and being able to turn around the story that's that's a really cool thing and um so i don't want to say like comics are better because i think they're different you know what i mean but i do enjoy the fact that we can turn around those ideas in a much shorter span and that, no
3: matter what it is, it's a challenge either way. Oh, yeah, big time. And,
0: you know, comic storytelling is different from animation storytelling. And there's certain types of visual cues and things you can do in animation very easily that are almost impossible to present, and vice versa, you know. There's um, some internal narration and kind of dialogue that, that um Dreamfinder has as he's struggling with, you know, some of his difficulties. And you don't really do that stuff in... You know, film, like you, you can have a narration running over top, but you generally don't have a character's internal thought process. That just sounds very odd. But in comics, it's a very natural thing and it gives you this enriched sense of character. And so I feel like you, you know, you've got to play to the strength of the medium that you're working in and, and use it to its advantage. And so I feel really good about the fact that we're able to take this and, you know, unapologetically make it a, a cool and fun comic. I know you're only six months into what
1: will hopefully be a very long storyline, but so this is probably a premature question. But are there any other Disney attractions that now that you're kind of part of the Disney family, you think right. that'd be a great story? I'd love to do that after I'm done, you know, working the magic with Dreamfinder and Figment.
0: Right. You know what's really funny? Even just you saying that, I had to chuckle because you're saying being part of the Disney family. I had a moment where um, I was talking to the the Imagineers, and I was saying, you know, after this is all wrapped up you know, it'd be great to meet you guys someday in person. And they were like, oh, just come on down to the park and, you know, come say hi. And I was like, I guess, I guess I could do that, right? Like, you know, and I always feel like this weird guilty feeling where I'm like, is that allowed? Like, it still feels to me like that's, like, I know there's real people and they work in the, you know, in the park. And technically, I, you know, you, you contact them and You'd go in, right? But but it still feels like a weird sort of disconnected thing. So um, even you saying that, yeah, it's really cool. It's amazing uh, to be a part of it and to, to be working with Disney and to be working with Marvel. It is a real dream come true for me. So I'd love to be more involved. You know, the Figment uh, story is a five-issue, and that's a contained storyline with a beginning, middle, and an end. Um, you know, now that Disney's got their hands in so many different amazing properties, it is like a, like just, a, you know, this crazy, it's like a kid in a candy store. Like, a, what wouldn't I want to be involved with? I was making a lot of jokes with Bill Roseman when they announced that they had the Lucasfilm properties. I said, you know, please let me write something Indiana Jones. I would lose my mind to do that pulp kind of action adventure storytelling. That thing, man, Indiana Jones, you know, like raise of the Lost Ark for me is a perfect film. Start to finish, everything is perfect. It, there's not a bad frame in that movie. Uh, I would love to tell Indiana Jones stories, or you know, in that same kind of action-packed sort of thing, like a Han Solo, you know, smuggler kind of Star Wars thing, or a little closer to the to the Disney, you know, kind of canon. Um, it's interesting, right? Like I think that just about any of the the attractions has got uh, really cool stuff going on the probably the most obscure thing that I could request is I don't know if you, you guys probably know this because you're big park fans so on Halloween they do an alternate version of Space Mountain do you know about this yeah out in Disneyland yeah it's called uh, ghost galaxy I think it's called yeah that's right and so for they do I would love to do like a sci-fi a haunted sci-fi story called ghost galaxy and like do space mountaining kind of stuff but with ghosts, I think that would be just trippy and cool and sort of... That would be
3: good. Yeah, yeah wouldn't that, that be a fun awesome. storyline? Yeah. And so
0: people are like, you know, but it's so obscure, right? Like, everyone knows Space Mountain, and you're like, well, why don't you do Space Mountain? They're actually doing a graphic novel of Space Mountain. Right, so
3: yeah, i have like, heard that. Yeah. yeah,
0: so I'm like, give me Ghost <laughs> Galaxy. I'll take that. You know? but <laughs> but even if it cool.
3: was a, a one-off comic, I mean, still, right. it, just to... And just we'll to release it at it. Halloween, Right. and exactly. it'll be awesome. Yeah. That yeah. was great. See, to them. We're all for it. Let's go. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I'm game. Three copies that are already sold right now. So <laughs> I know that's <laughs> <true>. <laughs> it
0: only takes three copies to that are right. That's right. Those Imagineers are like, well, three copies. That's a good start. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so weirdly enough, uh, Ghost Galaxy would be trippy and cool. Um, you know, I can You know, I can't even take credit for that. Um, there's, uh, there's a webcomic artist named uh, RK mill Holland uh, he does a thing called um, something positive and uh, he took when as soon as I announced that I, I was working on the the Figma book he was the one that I didn't realize how hardcore he was he's a big Disney fan RK mill Holland yeah and um, he I saw him at a show and he had this like sparkle in his eyes when he saw me And he goes, you're working on figments. And I was like, whoa, dude. <laughs> and then he said, are they doing more park stuff? And I said, well, you know, there's other things I think in development, whatever. And then he goes, the coolest thing ever is ghost galaxy. I'm like, what? <laughs> and then he told me all about it. And then I was obsessed. I was like, dude, ghost galaxy. He's like, right. You know, <laughs> I think that stuff's so great. I love that the Disney park has that kind of weird, it's got the surface level, and then underneath there's like the little trippy kind of things like that. There's all these extra little secrets and, and hidden corners and funky things all about it. I think that stuff is, is wonderful, I it gets really cool.
3: Oh, yeah, I agree. I mean, that's one of the great things why we love Disney so much. It's, you know, it's the hidden gems that you know, not everybody knows about that really gets you thrilled about it and, and gets you coming back for more.
0: Well, I think that's what's so amazing is that you've got this place that is literally one of the most popular places on Earth, and yet you can have secret stuff still hidden that the majority of the public doesn't know about. I mean, right. this place has literally been, yeah, every inch of it has been walked over by hundreds of thousands or millions of people, and yet it's like, you know, the secret recipe or the secret menu or the secret door, and, you know, that's cool. I think There's a
1: story cool. about the Disneyland cats, right? That's No, that would the be a The Disneyland cats?
3: Dream. You know it's they have it. cats
1: at Disneyland, right?
3: Yep. They oh, have wild cats
0: that
1: uh, wander the park at night to take care of the, the not the big mouse, not the talking mouse, but yeah, the yeah. other mice. <laughs> uh, they they don't mess with Mickey and Minnie, yeah. I don't think. But that's, yeah, they have actual, they actually have wild cats.
0: That's awesome.
1: So you can have like a secret story about cats. It's a terrible idea. This is why I do what I do and not what you do. <laughs> You
0: know what, though? It's What's fascinating is even that there is these levels upon levels of the whole thing, you know? And as much as, um, yeah, and, and but working on something like Journey into Imagination, I feel like we've got a lot more freedom than if I was writing something like Mickey Mouse or if we were writing, you know, whatever sequel or whatever kind of thing there. In this way, you know, we've got this fertile area of discovery we can really go into, but because it hasn't been developed before, we're kind of going in and, and setting a guideline for it. Okay, let's make it about this, or this is what's most important. And, you know, hopefully, uh, if it all goes well and people like it, you know, the Disney crew will um, trust me with other things or, or offer me stuff, sort of, you know, other challenges to, to dig in with.
3: Oh, we certainly hope so. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> so, now, you... um. You did work for Dark Horse's
0: uh, Star Wars Tales. Oh, well, well, I did, I I did like, one story back in the day. I didn't write it even. That was, uh, Scott Kurtz did a story, and I I colored it for him. So it's on my credit list, but it it doesn't feel like it's a... I've never done a Star Wars story. I've never written a Star Wars story.
3: Are you a Star Wars fan?
0: I am. Uh, I'm not hardcore, but, uh, you know, uh, particularly the, uh, the original trilogy, uh, I love the smuggler stuff you know when I was a kid and I was playing Dungeons and Dragons we were playing lots of other role playing games as well t- tabletop games we played some Star Wars there was uh, West End Games had a, a Star Wars system and so we would usually play smugglers and get into trouble and you know it was, just, it was really fun kind of stuff and I feel that that universe is so so cool and what's neat about it is although there is the big story it feels like you can tell other stories in that space and they don't feel invalid you know so right yeah, it's, it's neat stuff. I'm, you know, cautiously optimistic. We'll see how these new films come together. But, you know, it, the good thing is is that they, they work incredibly well. And the fact that you've got this, you know, space opera uh, fantasy kind of setting is has always been really cool. So, yeah, I do like Star Wars. You know, it's got, it's got all the right kind of adventure hot points for me that, that work really well.
2: With the digital age now, comic books and everything, um, are you afraid that the print books are are slowly going away and that 10 years it'll all be just on an iPad somewhere?
0: Um, I think that there's, like a lot of other media, you're seeing that people are moving, you know, they're using more digital media. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I think it is sort of like uh, television where you're just going to browse more channels, but then the stuff that you keep and the things that you want in print, there'll probably be more collections. I don't know that single-issue comics are going to survive the next ten years. I think they may eventually become very rare and kind of collectible in that sense, because the medium itself, this weekly release and these thin kind of pamphlet comics, digital is going to suit them and suit the next generation quite conveniently. But as far as having a nice collected book and having uh, a finished story, I think that, that having that in print is going to stick around for probably as long as I'm alive. I can't really, you know, I'm, I don't have a crystal ball. But, you know, the reality is, is that there's going to be a place for books and there's going to be a place for that kind of stuff. It's not like, you know, digital photography where the advantages are so ludicrously perfect. That you know, traditional film just seems like it can't keep up. There is still something about a good book. There is still something great and convenient in you know the production values of a of a book in you know, a printed book. Like I said, I don't know the single issues are necessarily going to survive into the far flung future. But um, overall, I do think it's a it's progress, and I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. More people are reading comics than have in a long, long time. More people right. are browsing and trying things out. And the ability for me to tell people about something I'm working on and for them to turn around and partake of it, you really do have a culture that is, you know, if, if someone had, if they read an interview about Figment and then they had to go, well, okay, now I'm going to look up a comic store and now I'm going to go get one. Oh, maybe they're sold out. Okay, well, now I'm going to call across town and I'm going to try and track one down or whatever it's going to be. The ability for you to lose a potential reader along that process can be pretty... Uh, you know, it can be pretty extensive, but here the ability for them to go, Oh, that sounds really neat. I try that boom. And it's a, you know, they've got it and they can read it and then they can pass it along to someone else. I think that that's a very cool thing. And I think that that kind of advantage is, is worth it in the long run. You know, as much as you can be a traditionalist about certain things. uh, I think that the way media is sort of moving forward, people are learning To sort of balance the convenience of it with, you know, wanting to keep things that mean, you know, more to them in a more uh, permanent fashion.
2: I'm like Sean. I do enjoy the like physical book and flipping pages, but it's harder and harder um, to find shops around me that sell books anymore. That you almost have to just order them online and wait for them to show up, and it's it's harder to actually get those books anymore.
0: Absolutely. And I think it does change your sort of perception of the material where, you know, if it was, it, it seems strange, but, it, you know, the idea that I can conveniently just sort of download it in the moment, it does make me more, I'm not as as uh, collector driven, like I need to buy everything, I will browse more, I'll sample more, I'll try out different things on a whim, because it feels like, okay, I, you know, it's right there, let me give it a shot. And then, you know, the preview leads to buying the full issue on, okay, let's give that a go. And so I feel like there's a, the convenience of it can be really helpful and it can be great in terms of expanding that potential readership. And of course, the fact is the store is open 24 hours, the digital store, and, you know, they're not going to run out of print run. So, you know, it's, a, it's this weird thing when you're working with the physical comics. One of the things that's most exciting and most frustrating is when you hear that the book you're working on sold out. So you're like, oh, man, this is great. We, we sold through the entire print run. Oh, this is terrible. Now we've got to try and rush a new printing and not print too many and be left with overstock, but get it into the stores while there's still excitement and momentum and try and capitalize on that, you know, uh, on the enthusiasm for this new thing. And with digital, you don't really have to worry about that as much. It's not that kind of logistical nightmare of figuring out, okay, so now how much do we print and where do we put it and how do we price it or whatever?
1: I mean, digital, digital is definitely the future, but there's still
0: something about uh, cracking the spine of that comic the first time. Well, and, and what's really way- great is... Yeah, what they found, though, is that uh, there was a lot of kind of the sky is falling fear that digital was going to cannibalize all the sales of print. But what they're finding is that print sales have stabilized in a lot of ways and that digital is becoming supplementary. So people that would never have gone into a comic store and would never have read these comics ever are now willing to try them digital and becoming comic readers. And then they're ordering collections. So digital is a gateway drug for comics. Yeah, essentially. It's a gateway (laughs) for people to try something new because they, they just had no idea this type of content was available to them or the breadth and the depth of it, you know. Thankfully, you're seeing less and less of those articles. I mean, they're still out there where people always, if they talk about comic books, they compare it to, like, 60s Batman, you know, Zing, Pow, kind of, (laughs) Biff, Bam, whatever. But you're seeing less and less of that. The general audience now knows that it's just a medium, it's a way to tell stories. There's, you know, The Avengers and all, you know, billion-dollar movies coming out based on the properties. But people know that, okay, comics are viable, that they're out there, that there's content for kids and there's content for teenagers and there's content for adults and everything, you know, across the spectrum. And really it's about just finding stuff that you enjoy. You know, convincing my parents to read tons of comics is probably never going to happen. But anyone in my generation and younger, you know, is pretty keyed into what the possibilities are, whether that's web comics, digital, print comics, classic sort of superhero stuff or, you know, Manga, everything in between.
1: Before we wrap it up here, um, just to get it back to uh, you know, kind of the Disney side. Are you a parks visitor? Are you a parks fan?
0: I have only ever been to Disney World once. So I've been to Disneyland once, and I've been to Disney World once. Uh, I was I went to Disney World when I was uh, twelve years old uh, with my family. We did like a, a road trip into America. We went to Florida and drove all around the place, and we went to the Disney park. Uh, and it was a lot of fun. I had a great time, and one of the rides that I very fondly remember was Journey to Imagination. So it feels kind of nice to have this kind of closed circle of influence finally come and do in a way I never imagined. Um, but I'm not. Yeah, I haven't been uh, a hardcore parks fan. And one of the interesting things is discovering the extent to which people uh, love the Disney parks. I mean, I know that in a general sense. But, you know, once I got attached to this and once I got involved and people's, the fan love that they have, the before the first issues even come out, the letters that they've sent me or the tweets that they're sending me about Figment and about Journey into Imagination and about the parks and about how much Disney means to them, it's, it is really uh, touching and it does, you know, have a really positive influence on me and reminds me that I've got, you know, a, a, a duty here to do well by the property and do well by the story.
1: Well... Since you're not a big parks fan, these, the next little bit might be kind of difficult for you. But it's something okay. we do with it's something we do with every guest that we have on the show. Um, it's called the it's what do we call it these days, guys? <laughs> Sorry, uh, the, cheeky the cheeky lightning, lightning round. round. Sorry, the cheeky the lightning be, round. Cheeky lightning round. It's just five okay. quick, questions, you know, kind of mostly about the parks. Uh, so these might be a little difficult for you, but we're gonna we're gonna put you through your paces anyway. Um, so all right. At a Disney park, what's your favorite snack
0: food? At a Disney park? Oh my god! Um, oh jeez! I'm trying to remember all the crazy stuff that we would eat. See, now all I'm thinking of is some of the parks up here, like the attractions and the things. Do they do they have funnel cake? They do they have must. funnel cakes. I YouTube. am a fan of the funnel cake. Nothing wrong with that.
1: That's a, <laughs> it's not a bad snack.
0: Uh,
1: how about a, a favorite attraction at a
0: Disney park? Oh man. I remember really uh I remember really loving the Haunted Mansion when I was there. I love The Haunted Mansion, I love Journey into Imagination. Those two really stuck with me.
1: That's yeah, you can't you can't go wrong with the Haunted Mansion. Yeah. That's a that's a fan favorite. It but is a classic, fan yeah, love for a good for reason.
0: Yeah,
1: how about a favorite character?
0: Oh, that's tougher now. When I was a kid, I really liked Pete's Dragon. I really liked um Jiminy Cricket. Yeah. Right.
1: I yeah, like those. Those are those are yeah, kind of obscure. It's a That's, yeah, I think yeah a little off the beaten path.
0: That's my animation history, you know, yeah. coming off the beaten path there. Something a little, uh, yeah, unexpected, I guess.
1: Peach Dragon was great. I remember watching that a lot when I was a kid.
0: Yeah, yeah, I love that one. I had the, um, I watched the movie, but then I also had the, like, book with the little record. So it would play sections of it and you'd turn the page, you know, so. All right, two more
1: questions here. Uh, how about your favorite Disney movie? Animated or live-action,
0: doesn't matter. Whoa. Oh, man. Um, That's a tough question. I mean, because I'm teaching animation history, I see so many Disney films. Um, Of the feature films, the film that really turned my head and made me want to be an animator was uh, was Little Mermaid, Mm -hmm. and that kind of blew my mind when it came out. Um, Of the short films, I really like... um, the Silly Symphonies, the, the Ugly Duckling, the color one, not the original black and white one. I mean, the black and white one's fine, but you see the depth of the studio, the, the changeover in terms of their quality, uh, with the, with the color Ugly Duckling one, and the amount of emotion they're able to evoke out of that film really knocked me out.
1: Little Mermaid's a great... I mean, Little Mermaid was almost... as
0: the rebirth of Disney animation. Exactly. Right. Exactly. I mean, there was a time when in the 80s it looked like, you know, Don Bluth had sort of grabbed the magic from them and ha- had the ability... You know, films like Secret of NIMH I remember very, very fondly and, and uh you know, American Tail and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden, like, Disney's back on the map. And then, you're right, like, the resurgence that they had with Little Mermaid and, you know, Beauty and the Beast and then Aladdin and and Lion King. And it's just this string of incredible modern classics all right and then the last
1: question uh your favorite memory from the disney parks do you have one
0: uh i have a really weird one and it's it's not even a favorite but it's probably the most indelible one because it was so it was kind of nerve-wracking and amazing at the same time and so you know this is an era i'm 12 years old and this is long before cell phones or anything of the of the type And so my brother was 16 and I was 12, and my parents gave us the ability to go off and explore on our own at the Disney park. And that was a huge deal for both them and for us, because it was like, okay, we're trusting you guys. I mean, (laughs) it's the Disney park, you're probably not gonna get yourself killed. (laughs) But the idea that we were able to go off and do stuff on our own. And what happened was they said, okay, at this time, you gotta be here, and we had a little watch. You gotta be here, and we're gonna meet back, and then we're gonna watch the parade in the evening. And when we got, when we got there, we got there early because we didn't want to be late because we wanted to prove to them that we were responsible and mature adults or whatever. <laughs> the spot where we were supposed to meet them, the parade basically moved right in front of it. And so we could wedge our way in there, but there was no, as far as they could tell, we didn't know this until later, they thought that there was no space there, so they didn't think that we were there. And so the whole parade goes by, you know, and we're waiting there for them, and they think that we have not shown up, or that we're not there, and so they basically are getting wigged out that we've gone missing, and my mom's wigging out, my dad's actually okay, he's like, it's a Disney park, where are they going to go, everything's fine, you know, they'll make their way back to our hotel, because we were staying at the, um, I think we are staying at the Polynesian, and so... Uh my parents go back to the to the hotel and the parade finishes and my parents aren't there and we're just like, Whoa, what do we do now? (laughs) And my brother wisely was like, Well, we'll call over to the hotel. So we called over the hotel and we literally took the last train uh you know, from the park to the hotel and uh and and everything of course works out fine. But it was this weird sort of thing of like this transition into adulthood where they were saying to us, we could go off on our own and we could explore and we could be responsible. And then when something went wrong, we figured it out and we met up with them afterwards. So I know that's not like a thrilling ride or anything like that, but it, I remember that quite distinctively because it felt like this, I don't know, it was, it was just something unique that happened on our trip down to Disney World.
1: That's a, that's a great memory. It was something that you obviously still remember, so that, that's perfect for, the, for the, the end of the lightning round there. Oh, good. Um, and then the last thing we do before we wrap is you know, tell our listeners where they can find you, your website, your Twitter, whatever social media you do. Where, you know, where can they find you? And if there's anything other than the Figment comic book that, that you want to promote now, you know, sure. let us know.
0: Well, I'm doing all sorts of different stuff, so I don't want I could probably be here for another hour just talking about the other projects I'm working on. But I'll give you the, the quick version. The easiest way to find me is um, at my website, so jimzub.com, so j-i-m-z-u-b.com. And that is a, a blog rundown of all my current projects and conventions and signing appearances that I'm doing, um, new things that I'm working on, interviews. I've also got on my website a series of tutorials all about how to write comic book scripts, how to pitch your story ideas, how to break into the business, how to work with these companies, uh, which has proved uh, quite popular with people. And I've heard from a lot of people that they find them very useful as they're getting their way into the business, which is... You know, the best feeling. Um, I'm on Twitter, uh, the exact same handle, so just Jim Zub, all one word, so J I M Z U B, and you can tweet at me pretty much anytime. Let me know what you think of Figment, let me know what you think of my other comics. Uh, I won't go through everything I'm working on, but I'm probably known best for an image comic series called Skull Kickers, which is all about these two mercenary monster hunters who get themselves in capers. It's published by Image Comics, and we're plugging away on new issues. Uh, the latest um, issue, which will probably be out by the time uh, you release this on the web, is uh, issue number 27, and so we've been plugging away on that for quite some time, and it's been a, a real joy to work on.
3: I actually just uh, just picked that up. I, should, I really like it. Uh, oh, Who does cool. the, um, the work on it?
0: Oh, that's um, Edwin Huang. So he's, a, a, he's just a kid. He's just... I think he's 23 now he's 23 year old in New York City uh, and we met up through through the internet and he's been drawing it since we launched the series in 2010 so
3: I really like it it's, yeah, it's, it's really colorful and fun yeah. it's got an
0: animated kind of kooky feel to exactly. it
3: exactly yeah, it's, it's, it's different it's, it's nice. just a reverent
0: sort of approach to sword and sorcery fantasy so mm-hmm. I have a lot of fun working on that and we're going to be the, the full storyline that we want to tell is 36 issues so we'll be wrapping that up next year and oh, we're, uh, so we're sort of moving into the final kind of act of the story. And I'm very, very excited about it. Um,
3: Jim, we really appreciate you coming on. It was, it was great talking to you. Good and person. I'm sure a lot of people oh, are looking forward to the comic. My
0: pleasure. Uh, I can't wait for people to read uh, the story that we're putting together. Uh, Philippe is just drawing the heck out of it. He's just doing a wonderful job. And everyone at, at Marvel and Disney has been incredibly supportive. So we're stoked. Uh, we want to hear your feedback once it comes out. Please feel free to tweet at me and uh, let other people know what you think of it.
1: All right. Well, that's going to do it for this week. Be sure to let us know what you thought of this week's show. You can comment in the show notes over at EnchantedTikiTalk.com. You can email us at podcast at EnchantedTikiTalk.com. And you can also leave us a message on the Tiki Talk hotline, which is 256-4MY-TIKI. That's 256-469-8454. Be sure to like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash enchanted tiki talk. And of course, you can follow us at tiki talk podcast on Twitter. Lastly, if you enjoy the show, please take the time to rate us on iTunes.
3: And you can find me on Twitter at One Minute Disney Dream. That's one M I N, Disney Dream, and mouseworldvacations.com.
2: And you find me online at dolewipdaily.com and on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Dole Whip Daily.
1: And make sure you follow me on Twitter and on Instagram. I'm at Norman Bates. That's N-O-R-M-N-B, the number eight and the letter S. Thanks for listening this week. For Sean and Keith, I'm Alan, and this has been Enchanted Tiki Talk. Aloha.